you're, if you're a guest here, and a lot of people are looking at us online and then visiting, if you're a guest here, my name is Ray, one of the pastors here, and we're so grateful that you, you came today. And thank you for, for being with us. And for those who are watching online, thank you as well. Mary's already covered the Happy Father's Day, but man, we honor all of you, whether you are a father or not, you play a role in, in this culture and in the lives of men, women, boys and girls, so thank you for following Jesus. Uh, so much going through my head right now. Uh, by the way, so far, between five and $6,000 has come in, and the staff, while I was over at the hospital, the staff took a truckload of food to the two food banks and gave them a check. So yeah, that's a big deal. And they were very thankful. So again, if you'd like to give, every dollar goes to the food bank. So if you'd like to participate, you can. Uh, the celebration that we had on Friday, Mary mentioned it. Mary's my wife, by the way. Uh, Mary, uh, Mary's really on my mind, I have to tell you. Cause, not just because she's my wife, but we're doing communion today. And it's been two and a half years since Mary and I have passed the trays and so they handed me the tray and I went to hand it to her and we were sitting there worshiping the Lord and she went to lift her hand and the whole tray went over right on me. So it's been an interesting communion so far for me. And I pray it impacts your life as well. So it's just been fun. And then where was I? Oh, celebration. It was, it was good. Baptisms and man, powerful, powerful service. Uh, oh. Probably the thing, you know, I've been writing those little things for, to prepare our hearts for communion. And it's been, it's been a hard week for many of us because a good friend of ours, uh, Steve Woolery, who's been an elder here for 20 years, six foot five, you, you, can, you can always find Steve in a crowd, uh, had what may have been a very a massive heart attack. And he's in, he's in good Sam. And uh, he needs a miracle. He needs a miracle. But how many know we serve a miracle-working God? So we, we, we're going to pray after communion or with communion for, the, for Steve and for his family, for Michelle and for Katie and Kimmy and for Matt and the son-in-laws, all the family, that God would be with them, be with Steve, bring healing to his body. So there's a lot. There's a lot. But before we get into that, how many know that really, I don't know how to say this, the star of the morning should be our worship of God and the reading of the word. These are, are paramount today. So we're going to do a little different. I'm going to ask you to stay seated, but they're going to throw something up on the screen. And I'm going to give you a moment to read it yourself, and then I'll read it out loud. Or I don't, you can join me if you want. It doesn't matter to me. But we're going we're gonna to read it silently, and then we'll move to the next side. So let's, let's read this together. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the church of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Go ahead and read that. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. 
not realizing that you are wretched, poor, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments. So that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and the salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, also, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Lord, may your, your word go deep within our hearts today. May it speak to us. Even as it spoke to the Laodiceans, may it speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, this is the last church. Someone asked if Pastor Taylor was going to do a summation of the churches last next week. I'm not sure. But this is the last of, of the seven churches with what I feel is perhaps the most appropriate and compelling message for you and I as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church at Laodicea. Now, this is probably the best known of the seven churches because of this one phrase, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone ever heard that before? Yeah, most of us have if we grew up somewhere around church. It's been used in countless evangelistic crusades. I guarantee it's been said at more than one or two Billy Graham crusades. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It was immortalized in a painting in 1854 by Holman Hunt. It's Jesus. And I'm going to show you a picture, a picture, a derivative at the end of the service. But it's a, uh, it's a, it's a famous painting. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's called The Light of the World. What's interesting about it, and I'll repeat this later, is when you look at the picture that we'll show you today, it only has a latch or the door handle, not on the outside, but it's on the inside. It's good to remember this, though it's been used for evangelistic outreach. How many know this message isn't for the unchurched, it's for the churched? It's for the saved. It's for you and me. It's not for the, the, un, un, the, the non religious crowd, it is for the religious crowd that Jesus gives this message through John the Revelator. It's written to us. G. Campbell Morgan, old-time preacher, British pastor and teacher, said these words. He said, or when he titled his message, he entitled it, The Church with Christ on the Outside. Friends, between you and I, I don't want to be that church. I'm on a tangent. I don't want this to be a place where Jesus has to work to get in. Is that okay to say? I want Christ to be high and lifted up to where he's present in everything we say and everything we do because this is his house today. So we begin in verse 14. And the word of the Lord would say to us, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. In each of the, of the churches, he does this. Jesus does this. He gives something about himself. He gives either a title or one of his, his character qualities or traits. So he starts off that way, and he begins with the word. He said, I am the amen. That word amen in Hebrew means something that is valid and it's binding. That's why when we say amen at the end of something, we mean, Lord, make it so. Because it's binded, because it is valid today. It's trustworthy. It is a sure foundation. That's who Jesus is saying he is. 
that Jesus, above all men, above all others in this planet, Jesus can be trusted. He is the last word, the solid foundation upon which to build your life. Whether you're a young person just starting your family or starting out life, whether you're a middle-aged person that's kind of right there in the middle, you've got your career going, you're kind of set and you're looking to the future, if you're, or if you're an older person here today, doesn't matter who we are, Jesus is and should be our firm foundation. He should be the means by which we make all our decisions and our choices. Not what I want, not what the world wants, but, be, but what Jesus wants for our lives today. He's also the true and he's the faithful and true witness. That's the same title as in Revelation 19, where the one sitting on on the white horse is the one who is called faithful and true. Faithful witness of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not counterfeit, I'm real. We live in a world of counterfeit. We live in a world of pretend. We live in a world where the enemy of our soul can duplicate and make almost as appealing as what is right and good. And so we need to be careful to recognize only Jesus is faithful and true today. He can be trusted with our lives. Then the last portion of his title that he gives to the Laodiceans and to us is that he is the beginning of God's creation. In other words, he is the Alpha, the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. No one has their origins before him that when the world ceases, Jesus will continue. And those who are called according to his purpose, our purpose is in him. Revelation 22, he said, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is who Jesus is. This is why we gathered here today. This is why we'll celebrate communion. Because he is the amen, our foundation. He's faithful and true. He's authentic today and he's the beginning of all things. In other words, no one comes before, no one comes after. Now there's some things to know about Laodicea. It will reveal all, it'll all make sense to you what Jesus just said if you understand four basic points about the city and the church at Laodicea. Four things, real quickly. First of all, know this. It's one of three sister cities. You've got Colossae up, uh, up at the head of the Lycus River. You've got uh, the church uh, Heropolis over here. Uh, uh, and then you have, you have Laodicea, three sister churches. Now, uh, Heropolis was known for their hot springs. Some of us have been there. We've seen the hot springs. It's pretty amazing. They take some of the hot springs. They, put, they let the mud get in there, and you can take a mud bath if you want. I didn't, but the people I was with were, and I thought it was entertaining to say the least. But they, uh, they're, they're known for their hot springs. Then, then Colossae is known for its fresh water. It's known for the freshness. Their water tastes good. It, it, it's healing. Are you working with me here? Hot? Cold? Okay. And so this is a big deal. Now, Laodicea had to have its water piped in through these clay, clay and stone pipes and had to come a long way. And by the time it hit it over a cliff, I don't remember the name of the cliff, but it had white stuff on it, kind of a calcium buildup on it. Uh, by the time the water got to Laodicea, it was awful tasting. It was tasteless. It was, it was yucky. That's not a spiritual theological word. That's all I can think of. <laughs> it was bad, bad water. If you've ever been to Missouri, I don't know if you get this in Tennessee at all, but I'll tell you what, Anderson, Missouri, we'd go back there and uh, they had the sulfur water. You could drink it, but you had to hold your nose while you did. Hated going back there to visit grandma and grandpa because of the sulfur water. It was terrible. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yes. So, so Jesus said, hot, cold. You working with me here? Lukewarm. Okay. Now, it was also a wealthy city. It was so wealthy, in fact, that when an earthquake leveled the city, Rome offered to rebuild it, and the, the Laodiceans said, now nah, we got it, thanks. And they rebuilt the city all with their own funds. They were wealthy. They weren't just wealthy. They were what we would call super wealthy. I was talking to a friend on Wednesday. 
he's got an acquaintance that uh, he lives in the Bay Area. He has a job down there that takes him all over. His rent down in the Bay Area is $16,000 a month. I mean, ouch. $16,000 a month. And it made me think of different people who have come here. We've had, we had a pilot who worked for a, a, one of the billionaires in our area. I won't say who it was, but he owned a couple of sports teams in our area. And, uh, but he, uh, uh, he was a pilot, and so he would ferry people. There were these six mega yachts stationed all around the world, and he would be a pilot. He would take people from wherever they landed out to the... He would land the helicopter on there, and if they wanted to go submarining, they had submarines on the boat. I mean, these weren't little boats. These were... That's just a world I can't get my head around. Well, that would be Laodicea. It was a wealthy congregation. Not only were they wealthy, but they had cornered the textile market. Textiles, what you make clothes out of. It was known as a place where they had all kinds of clothes. If you wanted to be a clothes hound, you know what the term clothes hound? You like clothes? You could go there and, and get anything you wanted. It's like going to Rodeo Drive, I guess, or, or you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm wearing t-shirts now, so. Um, but you get my, you mean it was a place where you could dress to the nines. Another old saying, look it up. And then, in addition to that, they also had a medical school. Now, this is all going to make sense. you got to hang with me. They had a medical school, and part of the medical school focused on helping people with, with, with eye problems. And they created this salve that it would help bring healing to someone, help with their eyes. And so, in light of all that, now we get to the text, the, some of the, the why stuff here. Verse 15 and 16, a hard saying. It's going to be rough. Here it goes. Jesus, speaking through John the Revelator, said, I know your works. You were neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, and how many know if Jesus says something three times, you probably ought to listen. You're neither cold or hot. You're neither cold or hot. I wish you were cold or hot, but you're not. You're lukewarm. And therefore, because you're lukewarm, that tepid water from Laodicea, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Now, the word spit is the nicer way of saying, I I, want to vomit you up. You, you have left such a bad taste in my mouth through your being lukewarm. What he's saying is, I'd rather you be on fire over here like, like Heropolis. I'd rather you have cool and refreshing water like Colossae. But you're neither that nor that. You're lukewarm and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. He says, I wish you were one or the other. It makes him sick. Which is interesting. As I, C.S. Lewis, great, great author, great writer, great thinker, said this. Jesus produced... Uh, mainly three effects on people. It was either hatred or terror or adoration. It's similar to something else he wrote. C.S. Lewis wrote, you can think only three things about Jesus. He can be a liar, he can be a lunatic or Lord, but that's it. Because he claimed to be a good, he didn't just claim to be a good man, he claimed to be the son of God. So he can't be. So the last thing you can ever have of Jesus is mild approval. You just can't do it. I mean, you can, you can hate him, you can be afraid, you can adore him, but the one thing you can never do with Jesus is mild, condescending approval because it doesn't fit with who Jesus is. The Laodiceans, they weren't heretics. They weren't writing new heresies all the time. They weren't buying into the garbage. They weren't doing that. Uh, they believed all the right stuff. They, they, their orthopraxis was based on orthodoxy, right practice, based on right thinking uh, of God. They, weren't, they didn't have that spirit of Jezebel that we talked about where they were allowing stuff to go on in their church. It wasn't sexual immorality. They were just, they were the worst thing of all. They were apathetic. 
They were, they, they were just lazy in their souls. They were doing religious things, but there was no passion. There was no deep conviction. There was no zealousness for God. They were doing the right stuff without any desire for transformation. Because friends, at the end of the day, the church should be a one, one, about one thing more than anything. Helping people know Jesus and experience life change. And if there's a group that ought to be passionate for it, it ought to be you and me. There was no desire. They possessed mild approval of Jesus. They were lukewarm in their hearts. And Jesus said, that just makes me sick. You know what? If there's a group of people that should be excited about Jesus and about what we do and who we are, it ought to be you and me. I mean, while everyone else is, is celebrating Santa Claus and Frosty the Snowman and that reindeer with the red nose, we know what the real reason is to celebrate Christmas. God came to this world divested himself of his divinity and became a baby in the manger. There's anyone who ought to be excited and zealous and hot or, or cold, on fire for Jesus, whatever. It ought to be you and I who, who read the teachings of Jesus, who see the miracles in scripture where he brought someone back to life. We ought to be excited, passionate for our faith, not just doing this stuff because we have to or because grandma and grandpa did it or mom and dad, but because of Jesus and his uh, uh, power in our lives today. If anyone ought to be excited, ought to be those who, we're, we're the crazy people who said all the pain and the death and the torture and stuff of, uh, of that Friday makes it good and we call it Good Friday. Why? Because we see beyond the pain and suffering and know that Jesus died for us. I tell you what, we ought to be excited about Easter more than anybody else. Why? Because we know that he who is dead rose from the grave. And we ought to get excited and jazz. Who cares what the Seahawks do? Who cares if Russell Wilson went to Denver? Amen. Jesus is still here. Whistle, Wilson can go fishing, but God is still here. Where am I? Anyway, sorry. We ought to be excited about that. We ought to be excited about Pentecost. The Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, comes down to live within you and me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Wow. And then we know... Jesus went up and ascended. He sits at the right hand of the Father on the throne and Holy Spirit comes down and he's there making intercession on our behalf. That ought to just thrill you to death because let me tell you, pal, you need intercession. And I need intercession. And here's the coolest thing of all. One day our Lord and Savior Jesus is coming back. He's returning. That ought to just thrill you to the soles of your feet to the top of your head and just make you do a little jigger across the stage. I'd do it if I knew how to dance. <laughs> No lukewarmness, no, no apathy. Let's get to the why. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. And there it is. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. That's one sad verse, isn't it? You know, I gotta tell you, uh, because if Steve's in the hospital, I've been going to the hospital and just checking in, praying with him. And There's that long hallway between the old good Sam and the new good Sam. You know what I'm talking about, that long hallway? I was walking it the other day and it's nice. It's nice and wide and the floors, it's a, Good Sam's a beautiful hospital, in my opinion. It's just beautiful. And uh, they've got plenty of great doctors and 
so many great nurses and just phenomenal place, taking good care of Steve and the family. And they've got oxygen tanks, whatever they need, whatever Steve needs, it's there for him. And they can, they can do whatever they need to do right on the spot because they have everything they need. I contrasted that. I was walking down the hallway with our trip many years ago with World Vision to Lesotho. We went to a hospital in Lesotho. And uh, the only way I can describe it is it was a warehouse in which to die. There were people laying in the hallways. There weren't enough beds. Many people were struggling with AIDS at that time and there was no oxygen and they needed oxygen desperately. They didn't have medicines. They didn't have anything they needed. Very few doctors, not near enough nurses, maybe one to I don't know how many, 50, 60, 70, I don't know. Sat with the head of the hospital. He just sat there in tears saying, we are so desperate for help. I don't know how long later, six months or a year, some of the people we met in Lesotho came on uh, furlough from World Vision to come here and just see the churches and hang with some of the people who went. And a, a, a woman who was a nurse came and met with us and or was in service. And, and I took her in the back room. Some of our mission people were, were meeting. And so I took her in the back and I said, listen, I don't know why I said this, but I kind of knew where she would probably end up, to be honest with you. I said, I want you to be honest. I want you to share your heart. And she did. She said these words. She said, I went to uh, Auburn General Hospital. And, and she says, and it's a very, very nice hospital. By her standard, it's like a mansion. And you have plenty of oxygen. You have extra beds. You have this and you have this. You have everything you need. And then she said these words. You have everything you need. You don't need God. I am rich and have need of nothing. Is it possible today that we struggle with the same thing? That we are so blasted self-sufficient that we've got it all together. You know, uh, Daryl Johnson said this, lukewarm is the natural consequence of compromise. Is not, I'm just asking this, and I'm not asking it at other services, is self-sufficiency the spirit of this world? Is that spirit of, I've got it all together, I have need of nothing. Is that not what's happening right out there? The world is saying, I don't need God. I can handle this. I can solve my own problems. I got it all together. I don't need anybody's help. I don't need religion. I don't need Jesus. I don't need anything. Because everything I need is right within me. You know what's sad about that? is that if we're not careful, we'll compromise and we'll start saying the same thing or we'll start acting like it, even though we may not really believe it. That's how we'll act. Does that make sense to everybody? I know I said that fast. But what happens is, instead of us being influencers out in the world, the world begins to push in on us. And before you know it, there's no difference between us and the world and how we live. Right? There's nothing wrong with prosperity. If God's blessing you, praise the Lord. I'll tap you to help with the food bank. I mean, I'm not proud. There's nothing wrong with prosperity. The problem with prosperity is, Augustine said this, I have prospered is a terrible saying, but it does not include the living God. That's the problem. That's why, that's why was it Jesus who said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? You know what the problem is? It's because when, we, when we're successful, we think we did it. 
when we're successful, we think we got it together and we, we did this, not realizing that every good gift that comes to you is from above, right? It's that spirit of the age. And so Jesus is saying, part of this lukewarmness is buying into the culture out there and saying, I can do it in, in my own strength. I've got it handled. I don't need God. The Laodiceans had bought into this, the spirit of the city and we have to be careful in case we do the same thing. They became, if you will, self-sufficient instead of Jesus-dependent and soaking up the ways of the world. And so Jesus speaks in pretty hard language. Now, I'm, I'm getting closer. This is sermon number one, so I'm closing in. So don't, don't think about where your kids, what their kids are going to do for you, sir. Don't think about the nice lunch and something more than a hot dog, but you get a hot dog from us. <laughs> Jesus spoke in strong language. He spoke in, you know Why? Do you know why? Because he loved them. If you love someone, you're going to shoot straight. Right? Let me tell you something. If my grandkids were struggling with addiction, I wouldn't dance around it. And some of you have children struggling with addiction. Ignoring it is not loving them. Pretending it's not there isn't loving them. We got to do what we can to help them. And so Jesus wants to help the Laodiceans. He said this, and he spoke strong. He said, you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And then he comes back, you know those three things, wealth, clothing, and, and blindness? Listen to what he said. He said, he said to them, in a, in a city that values wealth, you are poor and pitiable. See, he's feeding on what they know. In a city that values fine clothes, he said, you are naked and you need to cover your shame. In a city that values medicines for the eyes, what does he say? He said, you guys are blind. You can't see. Jesus, as angry as it sounds, is not, he's not angry. This is a compassion that says, you've got to turn. And he's going to tell them in a minute, you've got to be zealous and repent. It's compassion. He loves them enough to share the truth. Who do we love enough to share the truth? That's kind of an application, I think, today. I hadn't planned on it, but who do we love to share the truth with them? He loves them enough to say, you can't stay that way. I mean, we got a sign right out front when you turn in here, come as you are, you'll be loved, but I promise you someday you're gonna turn in there and you're gonna see these parentheses at the bottoms, but God loves you enough not to let you stay that way. He desires for us to be transformed. Something has to change. We can't stay. Jesus gives counsel and he, he gives them advice. He said this, I counsel you to buy because he understood they understood the buying concept. They all live down on Rodeo Drive. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint, there it is again, salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love. I reprove and discipline. And then he, then he nails them. He says, so don't be lukewarm. Don't be caught up and say you have nothing. Be zealous and repent. In other words, repent. It means if you're going this way, turn around and go this way. Start following the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, buy from me wealth that you cannot buy with money. Let me cover your shame. Let me give you eyes to see. Let me give you a grace worth more than anything this crazy world can offer. That's what Jesus is saying today. Why? Because he loves them. He loves them. How do I know this? Well, because the text said it. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. He doesn't hate them. He loves them. He longs for them to know the way of life only he can give. Here's my question. What is our, I mean, what is their response? What is our response? 
Be zealous and repent. Repent and change directions. Find your passion in Jesus. Ah, Pastor Ray, you this, for the very first time in years, you've spoken deep into my heart. So I'm going to be zealous. I'm going I'm to work up my spiritual emotions and I'm going to repent. I'm going to work up and I'm going to be zealous for God. I'm going to get up every morning and I'm going to do my journaling. I'm going to do my prayer. I'm going to do my Bible reading because you've, I, I, can, I got this and I'm just going to take care of it and I'm going to do it all in my own strength. It's not what he's saying. That is not what Jesus is saying. He already knows. He knows me inside and out. He knows I don't have the strength to follow him. He knows I'm no good at at mustering up enough emotion. I'm no good at trying to do it in my own strength because I don't have any. But that's okay because the good news is, is my weakness. He's made what? Strong. Strong. So what's the key? What's the key? Here's the key. You ready? I started doing this and someone online sent me a text saying, I think it's Jesus at my door. (laughs) Last service, I set off somebody's ring by doing this. (laughs) Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, boy, there's that little word I hadn't noticed except right now, if, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Listen, as we get ready to move into communion, he doesn't ask us to up our emotional game. He doesn't ask us to fire up the engine of passion or be more self-sufficient, quite the contrary. He doesn't ask us for things that we can do on our own. He says just, in the name of Jesus, just open the door. Just open the door. The little one agreed. How about you? Let me show you this picture. This is another painting. This isn't the original. Uh, Only thing I'd ask you to notice about this, this is like from Sunday school years ago. Uh, There's no door handle on the outside. Jesus isn't going to kick your door down and demand something from you that you're not willing to give. He just won't. He invites you from the inside to open the door and let him in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will have lunch and dinner and breakfast and snacks with him it doesn't say that but you get my meaning behold I stand at the door behold that means to look you know what look means it means to examine it means to see behold look behold see see what's really there he stands so what's the what's what's the uh What's the antidote to lukewarmness? Answer the door. Let Jesus in. And say, Jesus, I want what you want more than what I want. I have no strength in myself. I got nothing to offer you. And Jesus says, that's good because I do my best work with people who realize they've got nothing. That's what Jesus does. That's who Jesus is. Answer the door. Let him in and say, you know what, I don't, uh, and and then when you do your journaling and your prayer in the morning and and your worship, it won't be because you have to, it'll be because you want to. Examine our hearts, examine. That's what we're gonna do. This last week, I I asked you to take 1 Corinthians 11 and 28 
to heart. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Examine. Examine if there are things in your life, and I want you to hear me as we close today. It's not fun to examine when you know there's stuff in there that needs to be dealt with. Not fun at all. But I'll make you this promise when you bring it to Jesus and say, here, take this, I can't handle it anymore. There'll be like a deep breath. Oh, yes. Why was I holding on to this so hard? Now, I gotta be honest with you. When you begin to examine your heart, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and you invite him in, you need to know something about Jesus. He's not just gonna go into the living room. He'll start there. I'm thinking uh, the two seven series from the Navigators, My Heart, Christ Home. He won't just go into the living room. You know what he's gonna do? He's saying, hey, let's walk down this hall. And you're going, whoa. Wouldn't you rather just stay in the living room? No, let's take a walk. He goes into the dining room. Yeah, nice. He walks to the kitchen. It's looking good. And then he says, let's go up and take a look in the bedrooms. Okay, okay. So he comes to the bedroom and he looks in. Hey, this is all looking pretty good. Spick and span. Then he says, do you have a den or a family room, a study? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now you're starting to sweat. You're starting to sweat. It's like the guy in the last service said, Pastor Ray, you didn't mention closets. And I said, joking, I said, well, that's because I don't want Jesus in the closet. I don't mind if he goes here and there and there and there, but I sure don't want him to go to the closet. And Jesus will say to you, how about this closet? Jesus, uh, let's go back to the living room. It's comfortable there. What you mean by that is it's comfortable for you. Jesus says, why don't you let me in the closet? Jesus, if you knew it was in the closet, you might not love me. And Jesus says, Ray, I've loved you at your worst. Let's see what's in there. And so we open up that closet and we say, here. And the grace and the mercy of God begins to fill our souls. And we are overwhelmed by this Jesus who died and rose again, who won't laugh at us, who won't mock us, who won't push us away, who will love us at our worst. Examine your heart. Say, Ray, I don't want to do that. Well, I know you don't want to because there are times I don't want to either, but it's the right thing. And then, and then, examine your heart when it comes to your faith. Would it be said of us like the Laodiceans? You're lukewarm. Lord, I don't want to be lukewarm. Examine your gratitude, because to be honest with you, some of us, including me, we've developed an attitude of whining. We whine more than we praise. We whine more than we worship. We whine more than we say thank you. Not me so much, but you. (laughs) I am the worst offender, and may the Lord forgive me. Examine your heart. Okay, okay, what did I say? Examine my, if they need to repent of stuff, I need to look at, am I lukewarm or on fire for the Lord? Am I gratitude? Okay, Ray, those three, that's good, that's good. No, no, wait, there's one more. Examine your heart to love others. 
oh man. Yeah, because Jesus gets real specific on this when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as what? As yourself. Well, I don't know about you, but I really love me. But I'll be honest, there are people in my life, not so much. Not so much. And Jesus says, in it, said in his word, they're going to know you're my disciple if you what? Love people who aren't lovely. I can love my grandchildren. That's easy. Any, any grandparent in here who can't? Let me finish. Any grandparent who cannot love their, their grandkids? No, of course not. We can love them. But there are some people hard to love. And Jesus said, love them. I wish, I'm, I'm with you, I wish he hadn't written that stuff. But he did. So here's what we're going to do. We're, the, uh, the ushers and, are going to come and they're going to give you the elements, try not to spill. And uh, they're going to sing. Listen, the tendency is going to be to stand up and worship. Stay seated. Stay seated, because I want us to reflect and examine our hearts before communion. Amen? Let's worship the Lord together.